morning I want to begin uh, in the Word of God and reading from chapter 3 of Genesis and then also 1 John chapter 4. In chapter 3 of Genesis verses 8 and 10, it says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. This was immediately after the fall when they disobeyed God, didn't take him at his word, and they partook of the forbidden fruit. And then it says in verse 9, And the Lord God called Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid. And then in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. In 1933, Franklin Delano Roosevelt became the 32nd president of the United States. And he came into the presidency at a time when the whole world was in an economic depression. In fact, it became known as the Great Depression. And many, many banks, in fact, almost all of the banks in America had closed. And within the first five months of him being in office, there was already 13 million Americans. Almost a quarter of all Americans were out of employment. They were jobless. And then on top of all of that, uh, there was the talk of the great dust bowls in the great southern plains of America, where nothing could be grown because of drought and man-made failures. The whole prairies that used to be corn and wheat was all gone, and people were literally starving. In fact, there were thousands of people in cities all over America lining up to get the soup kitchens that churches and other charitable organizations were providing. So this was a very, very difficult time indeed. And people were afraid. They, they were really, really living in fear, afraid of their future, afraid of tomorrow, afraid of today, afraid of what's going to happen if, we, if this never starts again, if we can't get our jobs back. What are we going to do? We're broke. We have no food. People were literally dying. And so it was a terrible, terrible time. The atmosphere was awful. And it wasn't just in America. Indeed, it was all over the world. But America particularly was hit very, very bad. And so Roosevelt knew what was going on, and it was his job to do something about it. And in fact, at the end of it, he was the one who was uh, lauded as the one who was able to take them out of the Great Depression. But he understood how people felt at this time. He understood the fear and the dread within American society. And so in his inaugural speech, among many things he said, there was this particular line that really resonated in the hearts of all Americans. And here's what he said. He says, we have nothing to fear but fear itself. We have nothing to fear but fear itself. And that was his way of saying, yes, things are bad, things are terrible, but don't let fear cripple us. We will come through this, we will come out of this, but please do not let fear destroy what we're about to do. And then he made some uh, tremendous decisions that allowed the country to get back on its feet again. Fear has always been a part of humanity. In fact, we read there in 
chapter 3 of Genesis, right at the very, very beginning of mankind. The very first recorded words of Adam after he had fallen, after he had sinned, after he had disobeyed God, was these words, I was afraid. And fear has stopped society ever since then. Fear has struck, struck at the hearts of men and women and boys and girls since time and memorial. Fear has plagued us, it has poisoned us, it has imprisoned us. Fear invades our hearts and our minds. It infects us with worry and anxiety and stress. Fear hinders us, it inhibits us, it imprisons us. Fear causes us not to fulfill our God-given dreams. Who among us has not felt through fear that knot in the stomach or the, the tightening of the throat or the heart pounding or the palm sweating? Who among us has not had those moments whenever our courage and our confidence has been stifled by fear? Did you ever consider that Jesus in his humanity on earth, there was times he hungered, he thirsted, there's times he was weary and grew tired and needed to sleep and rest. There's times he wept, at least twice he wept openly. And there's times he was angry. But you'll never find in Scripture even one time where it says that Jesus was afraid. He had no fear. Even at his darkest hour, even at the time when he was facing the specter of Calvary, even when he was on the cross and going through the horrors of the cross, and yet he was not afraid. Why? How could he be like that? You see, in his humanity, Jesus was sinless. He was holy, holy. He was completely holy. And so fear could not get a grip on him. He was perfect in every way. Now you and I are not perfect. You and I are not wholly holy. We're not completely sinless. So as long as we live upon this earth, there are going to be times, for whatever reason, when fear will strike at us. There's going to be those moments whenever we'll face fear. Now let me encourage you today, because I want to be encouraging. The only way you're going to face those fears is to face it with your faith. God has given you faith, and faith is the antidote to fear. Faith is the antidote to fear. So God has given you faith to be able to overcome uh, fear. The Bible speaks in 1 John 4, 8, the scripture we just read. It says, that it speaks of fear that has torment, uh, a fear that paralyzes us. A fear that causes us not to do what we ought to do. A, a fear that binds us and shackles us. And we're going to come back to that scripture a little bit later. Fear is an, a byproduct of unbelief. Adam stopped taking God at his word. He stopped trusting in God's word. God had given him a word, he'd given him a command, and he didn't take him at his word. And he stopped trusting that. And what was the result? Fear. I was afraid. And so fear was the effect. It wasn't the cause. It was the effect. Fear was the fruit of unbelief. It wasn't the root of it. In Matthew chapter 14, and I just want to read a little bit here from 
Matthew chapter 14. And this is the, the well-known uh, moment in Peter's life. And it says in verse 22 of chapter 14 of Matthew, Immediately Jesus made his disciples to get into the boat and to go before him to the other side. While he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. Now Jesus obviously was not in the boat. And they knew that he was up the mountain. But here they were in the middle of this great storm. And they were afraid of their very lives. Now these were seasoned fishermen. They had been in storms before. But this was a terrible storm. And fear had gripped them. And then even though Jesus was up the mountain, they were in the boat. Uh, they realized that Jesus could not get to where they were. If Jesus could get to where they were, then they'd be okay. But in their thinking, that was impossible. How could that be? He was on the mountain. They were in the boat. But then suddenly, Jesus appears to them walking on the sea. And all of those suspicious fishermen ghost stories that they had known since they were little boys, all of that suddenly come to their minds and they immediately felt, this is a ghost. This can't be real. This is not a real person. This is a ghost. And they were greatly afraid. But then immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Do not be afraid. Isn't that a great sentence? Whenever we feel fear, to remember the words of Jesus, whenever we're in a storm, whenever we are finding things really, really tough and difficult, when fear wants to overtake our hearts and our minds. And Jesus said, do not be afraid, it is I. You see, he was right there with them. But notice here, and Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And so he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. What an amazing, incredible step of faith that was for a human being to take. It had never been done before. It has never been done since. This was tremendous faith that Peter took those steps, put his leg over the boat and began to walk towards Jesus. But then notice, but when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. Now, this wasn't the first time he was afraid. Because we just read. They were afraid for their lives. When they saw Jesus standing in the water, they thought it was a ghost and they were greatly afraid. But then he took that incredible step of faith and his faith overcame his fear. And he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But then, if we just left it there at that point, if we just stopped reading at that point, then would we think that it was his fear that was the cause of his unbelief. But actually, I think it's the opposite way around. 
I think it was his unbelief that became the cause of his fear. He already had been afraid, and he'd overcome that fear with his faith, but now doubt had arisen because Jesus immediately stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? You were doing so well. Your faith was working really, really well. Why did you doubt? You see, this was the very root of his unbelief and his fear was the fruit of it. Why did you doubt? And then they got into the boat and the wind ceased. And then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him saying, truly, you are the Son of God. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, another well-known portion of scripture regarding the story of David and Goliath. Now, because we know, most of us know this story so well, I'll break into it because it's a long story. I'll read from verse 8 of 1 Samuel 17. And this is whenever the Goliath, the champion of Gath, was out there in the valley of Elah and Ephesdamon. And every day he was out there taunting the, the children of Israel, taunting the armies of Israel to fight. In verse 8 it says, Then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we might fight together. And when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were, great, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now, Jesus in Mark 4, 24 said, Take heed what you hear. But in Luke 8, 18, he said, Take heed how you hear. And there's a big difference. How you hear what you hear can make all of the difference. I repeat that. How you hear what you hear can make all the difference. And they heard through the ears of unbelief. They heard through the ears of fear. They were afraid. They were greatly afraid. And that's what they, their ears was telling them when they heard the taunts. It put fear into their hearts. It says in verse 12, Now David was the son of the Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah. His name was Jesse, who had eight sons. The man was old, advanced in years in the days of Saul. The three eldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul to the battle. The names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, next to him Abinadab, and the third Shammah. And David was the youngest. And the three oldest followed Saul. But David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And the Philistine drew near and presented himself forty days, morning and evening. Then Jesse said to his son David, Take now for your brothers an ephah of this dried grain and these ten loaves, and run to your brothers at the camp, and carry these ten cheeses to the captain of their thousand, and see how your brothers fare, and bring back news of them. Now Saul and they all of the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. So David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with the keeper, and took the things, and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to fight and shouting for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army. 
And David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper and ran to the army. And he came and greeted his brothers. Then he talked with them. And there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines. And I want you to listen to this very carefully. And he spoke according to the same words. And David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, they fled from him, and they were dreadfully afraid. Notice that David heard the exact same words that this Goliath was spouting for days against the armies of Israel. The same words, but he heard with a different ear. How he heard it was different. You see, David was a covenant man. They were a covenant army, but they had forgotten that. The Philistine was not a covenant man. He was an uncircumcised Philistine. And they had forgotten that they were people of the covenant, that God had given them a covenant. But David hadn't forgotten. David was a covenant man. He knew that God was on his side. And so the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich him with great riches, will give him his daughter and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him saying, because he wanted to make sure, what shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? Tell me again. I want to be sure. And then notice what he said. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy not the armies of Israel, that he should defy the armies of the living God. You see, he heard the same taunts. He heard the tirade of Goliath for, that had gone on for days, but he heard it differently. How he heard it was different because he was of the covenant and he had faith and he believed God. And so he said, that they're defying the armies of the living God. Goliath says he was defying the armies of Israel. Israel said he was defying the armies of Israel. But David says, no, he's defying the armies of the living God. And so David, we know then from the rest of the story that's so familiar, that David went out with that faith, not with fear. The rest of them are afraid, but he had faith to believe and trust God for a great and mighty victory. And the same covenant God... The same covenant God had caused him to have victory over the lion and the bear would be the same covenant God would give him victory over this giant. And he did have a wonderful victory, didn't he? He beat Goliath. And of course, then the Philistines scattered and the armies of Israel chased after them. And so he responded by faith, not by fear at all. Remember that you and I, we are people of a greater covenant a better covenant, a new covenant. And we are children of the Most High God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who went to the cross, who died for you and died for me. He is the one who brought us into this covenant, this new covenant, which is greater, the book of Hebrews says. And so that's why we have faith to trust and believe him. And so our lives should not be governed by fear, Yes, there'll be moments when it happens, but our life should not be governed by that because our faith that God has given us under this new covenant, our faith and trust in Christ the Lord will be able to win us the victories 
in Jesus' name. In Numbers chapter 13 and 14, again, these are well-known uh, stories. This is about, of course, whenever Moses was leading the children of Israel to the promised land, and they got to the border, and God had promised them the land. There's no question about it. God had promised them that the land was theirs. The only thing was there was it was being inhabited by wicked, evil people. And so they had to be driven out. And so there needed to be a strategy and a plan how to do that. And so quite naturally, Moses being a strategist and a planner, he sent in spies to spy out the land. And that's the part where we're going to look at here in verse 17 of Numbers chapter 13. Then Moses sent them out to spy out the land of Canaan, this is the twelve spies, and said to them, Go up this way into the south, and go up to the mountains, and see what the land is like, whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, few or many, whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, whether there are forests or not. Be of good courage. And bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. And so they went up and they spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin as far as Rehob near the entrance of Hamath. And they went up through the south and came to Hebron and Hinnom and Shishai and Talmai. And the descendants of Anak were there. The descendants of Anak were giants. They were very, very big people. Now Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. Then they came to the valley of Eshcol, and there cut down a branch with one cluster of grapes and carried it between two of them on a pole. They also brought some of the pomegranates and figs. The place was called the valley of Eshcol because of the cluster which the men of Israel cut down there. And they returned from spying out the land after 40 days. Now when they departed and came to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh, they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told him and said, We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is the fruit. I mean, they could not have found better fruit and provision than they brought back. This was wonderful. This was a, a, a real good story to tell. But notice, nevertheless... The people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there, the giants, and the Amalekites that dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites who dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. And Caleb standing there could take no more of this. I mean, he just had had it. So he butts in. Verse 30. Then Caleb quietened the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. What a statement that is, isn't it? But then the men who had gone up, up with him said, We're not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land, which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, who came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so were we in their sight. Ha! Huh. Fear! Absolute 
fear had reduced these people in their minds as if they were like grasshoppers, that they were so small and weak comparison to their enemies who were giants. And when they saw that, fear overtook their feelings. And so these are covenant men. God has already promised them the land. All they had to go in was take it. But fear stopped them claiming the promises of God. And we need to be careful that fear doesn't stop us claiming the promises of God also. Isn't it amazing how 10 people can affect a whole nation? How their negativity, how their fear was so contagious that the whole nation sided with them and believed them. Because it says in verse chapter 1 and verse 14, So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron and the whole congregation and said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt. If only we had died in the wilderness. Why has, God, why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, were among those who spied out the land. They tore their clothes and they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land. Now, did you notice how that's put? See what comes first. Only do not rebel against the Lord. You're rebelling against the Lord. You're not believing his promises. You're not believing his word. Don't do that, Joshua said. Don't rebel against his word. Trust his word. Believe him. Have some faith in your hearts. You know, kick that fear out the door. Get some faith into your hearts and do this. Do not rebel against the Lord. Then he says, nor fear the people of the land. You see, if we don't believe God's word, then fear takes over. The fear of man brings a snare, the Bible says. And that's what was happening to them. And so he said only, do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And all the congregation said to stone him with stones. Now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of meeting before all the children of Israel. And if we were to read on, we'd see that God was very, very displeased. And he told them, for every day you were in that, spying out that land, for every day I'm going to make you walk one year in the wilderness. So for 40 days, so for the next 40 days, you'll walk in the wilderness. And all that is 20 and above shall die out in the wilderness. And all their children, the Jews said, would die at the hands of the enemies. I'm going to take them into the land, and they're going to claim the land. Glory to God. So do not allow your fear to overcome your faith. Have your faith overcome your fear. So 
2 Timothy 1 and 7. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. The Amplified puts it this way. For God didn't give us a spirit of timidity, of cowardice, of craven and clinging, falling fear. But he has given us a spirit of power and of love and of a calm and well-balanced mind and discipline and self-control. The Living puts it this way. For the Holy Spirit does not want us to be afraid of people. Fear in the New Testament, the root word from which we get the word phobia. And a phobia is a persistent irrational fear or dread. And the enemy of your soul wants to give you persistent irrational fears and dreads. And the only way you're going to overcome those is by your faith and your trust in the Lord and your trust in God's word and in the promises of God. In Psalm 27, and I love the beginning of this particular psalm. It's beautiful. In Psalm 27, this is for you, believer. Listen to this. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And then in verse 3, Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this will I be confident. You see, he was not afraid. God gave him confidence, and God gave you the confidence. The faith that God has put in your heart is enough to conquer your fears today. So do not live in fear. Live by faith. Trust the Word of God. Trust His promises. Trust Christ, your Savior. In Ephesians chapter 6, it speaks of the armor of God and talks about the helmet of salvation. That helmet of salvation... You know, whenever the devil's trying to beat you over the head, put on your helmet of salvation. Whenever fear tries to strike your mind, because often the battlefield is your mind. And when those irrational, dreaded fears come into your mind, then put on that helmet of salvation. And whenever the fiery darts come at you, believer, then put up your shield of faith. See, God has given you the faith, the shield against those fiery darts of the enemy. And whenever he strikes at your heart, then put up the breastplate of righteousness. In Isaiah 54, 14, it says, In righteousness you shall be established, for you shall be far from oppression, for you shall not fear. And so, believer today, you have got a defense against your fears. And the greatest defense you've got is your faith in God and your trust in the Lord. Proverbs 28 and 1, the righteous flees when no man pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Let me just close with this. A famous old hymn that Martin Luther wrote, A mighty fortress is our God. And I love verse 3 particularly, and it, and it fits in with what I'm saying today. And he was going through a very, very difficult time at this time. This is a time of the Reformation. And I mean, he had many, many, many enemies, people who wanted to kill him and imprison him. And here's what he wrote in verse 3 of that great hymn. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, 
We will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. Glory to God. And so, beloved today, do not fear. I know there's fear all around us. This pandemic has caused great fear in the world and we're afraid of what's going to happen. And Will the economy survive? And will we get our jobs back? Will our business last? Will our homes that we have mortgaged, will we be able to keep them? What about our health? What about this COVID-19? So there's a lot of fear around. But believer, put your trust in Christ. Put your faith in the Lord and allow his strength and allow his confidence and allow his peace to be in your heart today. God loves you. He truly, truly loves you. It says in 1 John 4, 18, the verse that we read at the beginning, it tells us there because John is preaching about love and it tells that perfect love casts out all fear. And if you read it very closely, it's fear of judgment, being afraid of the judgment of God. And there's many, many, many Christians, lovely, precious believers in Christ, and they so want to please God, and they so want to live for the Lord, and they so want to do everything right and get everything right, and that's noble and that's good to do that. But the trouble is sometimes if they just get one thing wrong, they slip up, or they don't do something they should have done, or they do more than they should have done, or whatever, then they get themselves into a bind, and they think that God's going to judge them. But God loves you, truly loves you. And the more you mature in that, because that's perfect love, mature love, it casts out the fear of judgment. Yes, there's going to come a day of judgment, and we'll stand before the day of judgment, but that will be not the great white throne of judgment and revelation, which is for Christ rejectors, and they have every right to be afraid. But we're going to stand before the Lord to see what rewards, if any, that we're going to get for deeds done in the body since we came to Christ. It's nothing to be afraid of. It's something to be joyful about. But you see, if we're afraid of coming before him because we're not perfected, we're not matured in his love, we don't fully grasp that he truly, truly loves us. He wants the best for us. And he's got a wonderful future for us in the glory. And so today, beloved, trust in him. He loves you. He's for you. Do not fear. Let me pray. I'm going to pray that God will, if there is any fear that's, that's surrounding you, that's in your mind or in your heart, I'm going to pray that God will, with his grace, will take that out of your heart and mind and that you'll have peace, Lord God. I pray for my brothers and sisters today. I pray for any man or woman today that's watching that has got fear in their hearts and minds. I pray, Lord, that you will replace that with the peace of God that passes all understanding. Lord, that your peace will come into their heart and mind today. And Lord, that they will be at peace and rest and trusting you. You're a good God. You're a great Father. And I thank you, Lord, that you love us with an everlasting love. So let your peace today reign in their hearts. Dispel all fear and anxiety and worry about tomorrow, the things that are happening around, and let your peace, Lord, absolutely fill their hearts today. And we'll give you the honor and we'll give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.
Now let me tell you something about next week. God willing, next week when we get together, we're going to have, I promised this early on, but now we're going to do it. We're going to have Holy Communion. And so what I want you to do is get ready for that next Sunday morning. You know, get a little cup or a glass of some kind of juice, little piece of bread, and let's break bread together. Let's remind ourselves of the great victory of the cross. Let's remind ourselves that Jesus went to that cross and bled and died for us. Let's never, ever forget the cross. So next Sunday morning, God willing, as we gather around, then we're going to have that little special moment of praying together and breaking bread together to the glory of God in Jesus' name. So God willing, we'll see you next Sunday morning. Amen.